This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I want to talk this morning about an interesting account that we find in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. We're going to examine the story in 2 Chronicles 18. And it involves uh, two kings and a prophet during a time when the kingdom of Israel had been divided. Now, just, just uh, for a little bit of background up to this point, you know, the, the first king that was appointed for Israel was Saul. After, this was after they had come out of Egypt, after they had wandered in the wilderness. Uh, and God had appointed Saul, and Saul failed as a king. And so then he appointed David, and then David was a good king. And then his son uh, Solomon took over, and, and after Solomon's son took over, the kingdom divided. And so you're, you're kind of years into this lineage of good kings, but it splits off. And so Israel becomes a holy evil part of, of God's kingdom, or, or Israel just kind of turns away from God and becomes uh, idol worshipers. And their kings are evil men all the time. And the southern kingdom in that split was retained the name Judah. And sometimes their kings were good, and sometimes their kings were not so good. And they were influenced by idolatry, and, and so they kind of went back and forth. But for the most part, they had good kings. And so this story happens during this time when this division had happened. You have the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south, Israel and Judah. And these are the two kings that we're going to be dealing with as we examine this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. And for a bit more backstory to, to get us up to speed here with the kings, we're going to look at Ahab. Ahab is the seventh king of Israel. He is the king of the northern kingdom, Israel. And if you're not familiar with Ahab, uh, I would encourage you to, to do some study about that king about the story of, of these kings and this kingdom. He was a very evil king. And he followed after evil. In 1 Kings chapter 16, in verse 30, it says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him. That's a pretty bad record to have of yourself in the scriptures, that you did evil above all that were before you. Uh, this is how wicked this king was. And it came to pass as if it, it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. This isn't a good man. The summary of the scriptures give of this man... Pardon the summary of the scriptures, uh, or the summary of this man's life that the scriptures give us is very negative. He was an idol worshiper. His wife was an idol worshiper and influenced him to do great evil. And, and I won't get into all the history of this king uh, for the sake of time, but his wife encouraged him and influenced him to lead a persecution against the prophets of, God's peop- of, of God, the prophets of God. And they were killing them and, and, and hunting them down like dogs. That's how great uh, of evil this man was involved in. Now, in, in 1 Kings chapter 20, we read of a conflict that arose between Israel and Syria. And the long, the, the uh, let me start that part over, sorry. In 1 Kings 20, we read of the conflict between happened between Israel and Syria. And the, the, the short version of that story is that God, he in that moment helped Ahab to exact judgment against the Syrians, and Ahab failed because he was a wicked king. 
and he failed. But God gave him an opportunity to bring glory to his name and lead victory against the Syrians. Uh, but Syria had taken some lands over time uh, throughout their history. And, and in this story in 1 Kings 20, the king of Syria promised to give back some of the lands, but he didn't give back all of them. And that's an important piece of information as we continue on with the story in, in 1 Chronicles, or in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, rather. Um, and, and he does many evil things and many wicked things. So that's the first king we're thinking about in this story, and that is involved in this in 2 Chronicles 18. Now we're also going to look at Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoshaphat was the fifth in the line of King David, as in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And he's a good man. And what we read about him in the scriptures is good and it's positive. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1-6, through 6, it says, And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead, in the stead of Asa, and he strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah, and set garrisons in the land of Judah, and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the first ways of his father David, and sought not unto Balaam, but sought, uh, but sought to the Lord God his father, and walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor and abundance, and his heart was filled up, or lifted up, rather, in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. This is a righteous king. He's a good man. He removed the idols from the land. He even, it says, as you continue reading in there in 2 Chronicles 17, he set up an administration of priests and Levites that went out, and princes that went out to teach the law throughout all the land. And they, so they took the book of the law with them, and they went everywhere, and they taught the people, and fear fell upon all the land, it said, so that no one made war with him. And there was great, a great time of peace, and they prospered greatly. And, and he built up a great army and, of, of the kingdom of Judah, and I believe they were over a million strong. So he had a very great military force, but didn't need to use it because it was a time of peace, because he was following after the ways of God. <clears throat> so this is a righteous king. An evil king, righteous king. And now we get into the story here in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. <clears throat> now remember I mentioned this conflict between Israel and Syria. And after that battle was completed, and after that event in 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, there had been three years of peace between Syria and Israel. And it says in 2 Chronicles 18 verse 1, Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Now, during this three-year time of peace, it seems that Jehoshaphat had entered into affinity, and what that word means is a marriage alliance. And it wasn't uncommon for kings, I'm sure, in those days, and, and it may still happen in parts of the world, where one leader might marry his child off to another leader's child so that they can create and forge some kind of political alliance together. And so these kingdoms are forging this alliance through, through marriage. <clears throat> and Jehoshaphat's son married the daughter of Ahab, and, and that's... Uh, the Bible says in 2 Kings 8, verse 18, that that's, it was his son that married Ahab's daughter. And so he marries into this marriage alliance. And, and you might already start to be wondering, based on the backstory that we have of these kings, one was evil and one was righteous, what is this guy thinking? Why would he ally himself to evil? Well, it doesn't get any better from there. During this, uh, during this time, it says that, that Jehoshaphat came down to uh, visit Ahab. And it says in verses 2 through 3, it says, After certain years he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance, and the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. 
And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people is thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. Now Ramoth-Gilead was one of those territories that Syria had not returned uh, to the king. And so Ahab is sitting here at this party with all his people, and, and Jehoshaphat comes down and visits him. And I'm sure he knew the kind of military force that Jehoshaphat had at his disposal. And he's sitting here thinking, he says, You know what? Those Syrians did not give us back Ramoth-Gilead. And, and we're just sitting here not doing anything. And we have the ability to go and take it back from them. That's our land. And, and he tells his people, what do you say? And they say, yeah, let's do this. And, and he, it says here that he persuaded Jehoshaphat. That means he enticed him. He got him buttered up real good with this feast and said, hey, will you go with me to this battle at Ramoth Gilead? And notice the response of this righteous king. Now, again, we have to pause and wonder what was going through this king's mind, this righteous king. He must have known about all the evil that Ahab was doing. And yet, here's his passion response. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in war. What a response that this righteous king gives this evil king. And, and again, further makes this alliance with him to go into war. <clears throat> but he was enticed. Ahab was cunning. Now, it seems like Jehoshaphat, he, he has a moment of, of clarity, and he says, wait, let's, uh, why don't we ask the prophet of the Lord? Because in those times, the kings, before they did anything, like going to battles, they would inquire the Lord. They'd go to the prophets, and they'd ask, and they'd say, should we do this thing? And they would find out what God wanted them to do. And so Jehoshaphat makes this uh, appeal, and he asks, he says, well, can we ask God uh, in order to, to find out about this battle? And <clears throat> so the king of, of Israel, Ahab, gathers his prophets together. In verse 5 it says, Then the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. So he, he's doing this to appease Jehoshaphat. He wants to know, does God approve of this or not? So he gathers together his 400 prophets. Now, these are not men of God. These are not prophets of the Lord. But they unanimously consent to the king's desire, and they say, Go up, and God will give it to your hand. And, and it seems like Jehoshaphat isn't quite convinced, because as we continue to read the story, he asks, he's like, Hey, isn't, isn't there anybody else that we can ask? Isn't there a prophet of the Lord? He must have recognized that there was something off about these men, these 400 men. And so the king of Israel says unto him in verse 7, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good unto me, but always evil. The same is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Jehoshaphat's response is, no, let, let me hear for myself. But the king says, there's this one guy, but I, I just really don't like him because he's always saying bad things about me. But this Micaiah was a prophet of the Lord, and he was simply prophesying to him the words of God. But Ahab did not like that. And so he, he framed that as, he's being mean to me. He, he doesn't like me. He's saying evil things. And he... He only prophesies evil, it says, in the past. And so what we get here, reading between the lines, there's a history between this prophet and Ahab. And Micaiah has prophesied to him before, and it has not gone well because he orders an officer to bring Micaiah before him. And so Micaiah, is in, apparently he's in prison because of the words that he's preached against Ahab. And so in the meantime... They, uh, the, the kings gather together in this empty place in front of the gates, and they gather up this 400 prophets, and it's this giant pep rally for these kings 
to encourage him to go into this battle against Ramoth Gilead, or against the Syrians rather, to capture Ramoth Gilead. And they're clothed in their thrones, and it says they're, they're, they're clothed in their robes as they sit upon their thrones. And Zedekiah, one of Ahab's priests, it seems like he's maybe the, the chief priest among those priests, he comes to this pep rally with horns that he made of iron, and, and he's sitting here and he's encouraging these kings. He says, with these horns, you're going to push back the Syrians, and you're going to defeat this, this, the, this nation, and God's going to give this into your hand. And so they're getting them all psyched up for this battle. But in the meantime, he calls for Micaiah to come and be brought so that Jehoshaphat can hear it from himself. He said, let not the king say so. I want to hear this for myself. So in verse 12, he calls and he says, And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him and said, Behold, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs and speak thou good. So this guard must have known because we don't know how long how he had been imprisoned at this, to this point. But this guard must have known. He must have felt sorry for him. And he's like, come on, Micaiah, just, just go along with these 400 prophets. Maybe it was his chance of freedom. And maybe this guard knew it. So he urges him to agree with the 400 prophets of Ahab. They all declare good to the king with one assent. Can't you just... Can't you just speak good to the king? Micaiah's reply to this is riveting. Verse 13, he says, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. Micaiah was a principled man, virtuous man, that relied upon the Lord and, and, and relied, rather, on the Lord and would only speak that which God told him to speak. He wasn't going to go along and be persuaded to go along with these 400 prophets. But they bring him out before Ahab, and, and Ahab questions Micaiah. And, and it's, it's funny because sometimes there's a little bit of, uh, it seems like, some comedy in the scriptures. Uh, because Micaiah comes out, and he's very sarcastic with the king. And, and so the king asks him, he says, Micaiah, should I go? And he says, go up, prosper. Oh, that makes Ahab mad. He gets angry. And, and he's probably a little embarrassed because he just told Jehoshaphat, this guy only ever has bad things to say about me. So he comes out and immediately says something good and says, go up and prosper. So Ahab's angry at him at this point. And he says, how many times have I told you to say nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he presses Micaiah to tell him the truth. And so Micaiah tells him the truth. And he says, look, I saw a vision for telling of Israel as a sheep without their shepherd. And then the flock was scattered. That means the leader is dead. And that's Ahab. And he goes on to tell them about these lying spirits that are in the mouth of their 400 prophets. Ahab is going to die. This is the prophecy. Ahab is going to die at this battle at Ramoth Gilead if he goes up. And so he tells him the truth. And now he gets, he gets justified before Jehoshaphat. And he says, see, didn't I tell you? That's all he has to say is just evil things about me. But he's also angry. And so he, he sends Micaiah to prison and inflicts greater punishment on him. In verses 25 to 27, we read, And the king of Israel said, Take ye Micaiah, carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with the water of affliction until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou certainly return in peace, then the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, all ye people. Micaiah makes this, this very plain declaration before all the people. If you come back from this battle alive, in peace, then I'm not a true prophet of the Lord. But this is the last we hear about this prophet. 
It's likely that he remained there in, in affliction with the water of affliction and the bread of affliction, whether that means that he was going to be starved or he was going to be fed with greater physical punishment until this king returned. It's likely that he died there in that prison because he refused to go along with these 400 prophets and he was only going to speak that which the Lord told him to speak. Now, the story isn't over yet. Ahab and Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat rather, they, they ride to battle against the Lord's will. And they prepare for this battle. And, and it's, it's very interesting in, in this story. You just get this sense that Jehoshaphat is just this gullible man or somehow... It, it, it's, a, it's a very weird contrast to read about the righteous things that he did, the idols that he removed, the administration he set up to go out and preach the word of the Lord, but then just totally gives in to this evil king and somehow loses his courage. But this king, in preparing for this battle, remember, they were sitting in this empty place with their robes on as they sat upon their thrones, listening to this pep rally of these priests and these, and these prophets coming to them, saying, go up and win this battle. Ahab, as they're preparing for the battle, says, you know what? I'm going to disguise myself in common soldier clothing, but you keep your robes on. That doesn't sound like a very smart strategy if you're Jehoshaphat. Wait a minute. You think red flags are going off here. Why do I have to be the one that goes out and looks like the king? But that's not, that's not what we get in the story at all. It's just like, okay, he just goes right along with it. And so Ahab is disguised in his, in his uh, soldier uh, garments. And so once the battle begins, we read that the king of Syria commanded his chariot men. He said, you don't turn, don't turn to the left or to the right. Don't fight with great or small. I don't want you to, to fight anybody, but your mission is to go directly after the king. Well, who's going to stand out because they're wearing kingly robes? Not Ahab. It's Jehoshaphat. And so they immediately come for him, and, and now he's in the chase. But it says in verse 31 that, that he cried to the Lord and God helped him, and the Syrians perceived that it wasn't the, the right king. They, they saw, that, that's not Ahab. And so they turned away from him. But the battle is, is raging, and the battle increased that day, it says. And imagine this carnage of this battle. I just, I just get this vision of something like a scene from Lord of the Rings or something. If you're familiar with that, that movie, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. But just a, a wild battle with hundreds and thousands of people battling each other, there, there are swords striking, there are shields blocking, arrows flying everywhere, and it's just utter chaos. And Ahab is somewhere in there in his soldier garments fighting and, and, and blocking and killing Syrian after Syrian. And it's just a scene of utter chaos. It says in verse 33 that a certain man drew a bow at a venture. You know what that means? some guy in the battle drew his bow at random. He was just firing into the crowd. No particular target. He just... And he smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Million and one shot. And he calls out to his chariot his chariot men, and he says, I'm, I'm hit. Take me out of the battle. And it says that the battle increased that day, and he stayed up himself in that chariot, and he died there in that battle. 
Just the way God told him he was going to. It was a hopeless battle to begin with, but he wouldn't listen to the prophets of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, after this battle, is returning home, and he is rebuked by God for this. Because we're already wondering ourselves, why would this righteous king do this and enter into this marriage alliance with this wicked king and go into this war with this wicked king after the prophet of God told him, don't go? Second Chronicles 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him, and he said unto Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Now God in his mercy did not inflict that wrath upon Jehoshaphat in his lifetime, but it affected his children. And wrath came upon his household and upon his lineage because his son was married to Ahab's daughter, that very wicked king. And so it caused wickedness to increase in the kingdom of Judah. And there was great trouble and wrath upon him from before the Lord. But he was rebuked for this. God was not pleased. Note that question. What a, what a stunning question. Should you help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Very poignant question as he comes back from this hopeless battle that God told him not to enter into. Now there's a lot of application in the, in the stories of the Old Testament. And this one holds a lot of value for us as Christians. And you might be wondering, what do these Israeli kings have to do with our faith and our walk in Christ? What do these kings and this prophet have to do with the way we should live our lives in Christ and, and, and what we should do? Well, here's how. Consider that Ahab, this evil and wicked king, represents Satan. Because he does all the things that Satan tries to do and does against us. <clears throat> he asks you to enter into this marriage alliance with him. He asks you to enter into a war alliance, into a hopeless battle against God. And he makes a great feast for us. He makes, he makes the world so appealing. And he gives us all these great riches and all these great pleasures in the world. And gets us all distracted so that we can agree to go into this battle. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And these are the types of things that Satan uses and puts in front of us to get us all comfortable and, and, and not thinking about righteousness. He per persuades us with this lust of the flesh, persuades us with this lust of the eyes, persuades us with the pride of life. Because he wants you to agree to go into a hopeless battle. And not only does he entice you with, this great, with all these great pleasures in the world and wants you to follow after that, Oh, he has evil prophets too that come before you and, and because you're thinking, maybe I should, well, should I do this or should I not do this? You know, you're looking for direction in your life. But he brings these false teachers, false prophets before us in our life on a day-to-day -day basis to convince us that we should go up and win this battle. He had 400 prophets, Ahab did, to convince this one man, this righteous king, Jehoshaphat. And, and he paraded these guys out as prophets of the Lord, but these men were not of God. Satan does the same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read about Paul urging and pleading with the Corinthians. It seems like there was a lot of problems there at the congregation of, of Corinth. And namely, one of those problems was that there was false apostles that would come along and, and, and try to 
they would try to imitate the apostles or try to disparage them or try to, to claim that they were not real apostles of the Lord or that they weren't really speaking on behalf of God. And Paul calls these men out and he says, For such are false apostles, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. How scary is that? That Satan himself can take the form of an angel of light and come to you in ways that seem good and righteous to, to come and entice you. He says, therefore, it's no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. So the ministers, the prophets of evil, of Satan, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. What a scary thing that we ought to be aware of. The Bible makes it very clear so that we can have our eyes open when these 400 prophets come before us and, and we don't fall into this trap of listening and following with him. But, but Satan tries to divert our faith. Seriously does. You know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about today, when I say that Satan uses false prophets to subvert our faith, I'm not just talking about all the, the atheists out there that, that hate any religious person. I'm not just talking about academia that so uh, eagerly wants to, to disparage religious people or wants to, to make you feel like you're ignorant or somehow uneducated. I'm not talking about philosophy that tries to work its way around there being one true God that gives us truth, that guides us in this world, that loves us, that made us in His image. And I'm not talking about just even other world religions that teach a completely different doctrine or that are, are worshiping idols or have these idol temples. Some I've seen with mine own eyes in, in, in various lands, but I'm talking about the people out there that claim that they are of the Lord. They're out there everywhere. And, I know, and, and I'm not saying this from a heart of, of meanness. I'm not saying this from... Uh, to, to disparage any, any other person or other group, but I'm simply saying that we need to be aware because there's people out there that say, I am of the Lord, and they come to you and they say that the Lord has spoken to, to me, or the Spirit moved me this way or that, or the Lord has placed a burden on my heart to tell you that you should go up and prosper for the Lord has given it to your hand. They're out there everywhere, folks. People that, claiming, that are claiming they are of the Lord. But the warning of the scriptures is that we should be careful because sometimes evil can disguise itself as that which is good. So don't be deceived by these false prophets that speak pleasantries to you that make you feel all oh, good. Oh man, this is, this is so great. While they take you further away from the word of God. Second Peter 2 verse 1 says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall, shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The apostles warned the, the first century church a lot about the false prophets that were coming in, that were teaching false doctrines, they were teaching heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. The apostles had to deal with a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, to, to bring a, an example that's fresh on your mind, uh, Pat recently went through this, uh, through this, he just wrapped up the history of the New Testament church, these, that three-part series, and he talked about how there was this gradual movement away from the doctrines of God. It's because of the false teachers that came along and they were preaching, and the people, if they had been aware and said, no, you know what, we're going to read what the Bible says instead. We're going to read what the apostles taught us, and that's what we're going to do. Instead, they were persuaded to follow after these 400 prophets. Satan 
entices us with the world. He brings the 400 prophets before us, and he seeks our destruction. You know, Ahab asked Jehoshaphat to, to join him in this hopeless battle against God's will, and he even disguised himself as a common soldier, and he wanted Jehoshaphat to go into this battle with a target on his back. John 10, uh, 10 verse 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan does not care about you. The world does not care about you. Does not care about your well-being. The world simply wants you, and Satan simply wants you, to join him in a hopeless battle that will ultimately cause you to pay the price. He wants you to be the one that dies. He wants you to be the one that does not give glory to God, that does not honor God, that does not live properly, and for you, ultimately, to die. So Ahab is Satan, and we need to be careful of that. Now, Jehoshaphat, unfortunately, represents a righteous person that begins to err, or that is given into evil. The, what we can learn from, from Jehoshaphat's example is don't be allies with the world. He joined into a marriage alliance with Ahab, and he joined into a war alliance, joining himself closer and closer, working together with his evil king. And he says, in James 4, verse 4, the Bible says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so we ought to be careful not to sell ourselves the way Jehoshaphat did or to sell our children the way Jehoshaphat did in order to gain some kind of honor or some kind of peace or some kind of wealth or some kind of greater standing in this world. We need to be very careful and mindful of these things. Uh, and... and and I want to be clear, we have to live in this world, and we have to work in this world. And we can be kind to people, we can be loving to people, we can display the truth of God's Word and, and share with them the life-changing words and help people to change. But we need to make sure to check our heart and know where our heart lies. And don't ally yourself with the world. And don't become friends with the world. Secondly, what we can learn from Yashifat is don't eat up the false words. These 400 prophets came to him and said, yeah, go and do this. This is a good thing. You're going to prosper. This is going to be great for your life. But he asked for a prophet of the Lord. He had this moment of clarity. He says, you know what? Is there anybody else that we can ask? And, and he hears this prophet when he brings out Micaiah. He hears the prophet pronounce that God has not blessed his battle, yet he goes along with Ahab anyway. And what we can learn from him is to not turn away from the hearing of the truth. There are lots of false doctrines out there, but when we go to the Bible and we read what the truth is, don't turn away your heart and your ears from that. Satan wants you to be the kind of person that loves false words. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3-4, through it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. The Bible warns us that, they, that a time would come. He, they warned the first century uh, church that a time would come when people would turn away from hearing the doctrines of God and instead, based off of their own desires, find teachers that were willing to tell them what they wanted to hear. And they would turn away from the truth, and, and they'd turn to fables instead. And this is what's happening right here as we see Jehoshaphat with these 400 prophets. They're trying to turn him unto fables. But he brings out the prophet that tells them the truth, that this is a hopeless battle and they should not do this, but he doesn't listen. I want to tell you that there's millions of people at this very moment that are gluttonously eating up the words of false teachers, and it is absolutely heartbreaking to know that. 
And make no mistake that Satan wants you and me to be the kind of person that just eats up the false words and loves that. Jude chapter 1, 3-4 warns us to have a, a right heart and mind about this and, and look at this properly. He says, Beloved, when I gave diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Be a contender for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained unto this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the Lord our God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, be careful because there's guys who have come in in a very sneaky way, and, and you're not gonna, it's not going to be so obvious to you. But they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They are changing the truth and exchanging that for something wicked and a lie. And they're leading you in that direction. And he says, earnestly contend instead for the faith. Jehoshaphat is a man who heard the truth of the, of the prophet, the true prophet, and he ignored it. James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We're surrounded by a world of false uh, teachers. And, and if we hear something that is taught from the Bible that stands out to us and we say, you know what, that's different than, than what this guy was teaching or I heard this guy or saw this guy on the radio or heard this guy online or whatever, and, and the Bible is saying something different and it's contrary to all these popular doctrines that I'm hearing, we don't need to ignore that. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. It's sinful for us to ignore the Word of God, and that's what Jehoshaphat did. And it led him into error because he ignored it. Now lastly, and most encouragingly, we have Micaiah the prophet, who is a man that stood for righteousness, that is an encouragement for us to stand firm in the ways of God and stand firm in the truth of God. And so we ought to take that example and speak the truth. You know, he was encouraged to just go along with the crowd. Every one of them, give, tell the king that this is a good thing. Go along with them, Micaiah. And then he was even threatened by Ahab to speak only good things to him. He was put in prison, suffered greatly. You know, we have an example of that in the Scriptures that's encouraging to us. The apostles themselves were faced with pressure to stop preaching the truth, stop teaching in the name of Christ, and they were even physically threatened by the Jews. And, and beaten. They suffered a lot of physical persecution for going out and teaching the truth of the gospel, even though it wasn't popular among the religious culture at that time. Acts chapter 4, 17 says, this is what the Jews did, the leadership of the Jews did to these apostles, and they were teaching the truth. It says, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But when Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than to God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What a response that's so encouraging from the apostles that we see under the threat of physical persecution, under the social pressure to give in, to stop teaching about Christ, they said no. If you think it's right for us to not say anything, that's up to you. But we're going to do what God has told us to do. This is the exact same response that Micaiah had. Whatever the Lord has told me to say, that's what I'm going to speak. And that's what the apostle said. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. These men were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, and they were not going to stop teaching about this man because they knew the life-changing power. They knew that it was going to be a light. As we read in Matthew chapter 12 this morning, it was going to be a light unto the, all the nations. They knew who this man was, and they saw him for himself, and they heard him for himself. And this is what they were teaching, but they would not stop. And we ought not to stop teaching the truth, regardless 
of if religious people that seem religious, that say they are of the Lord, come to us and say, you know what, you need to quit teaching that doctrine. We don't like it. We cannot but speak what the truth says. We, we cannot but teach and practice the things that we know that are in the New Testament. And that's the heart we ought to have. And even if it means that we suffer for this. You know, Micaiah suffered greatly for speaking only the truth. And you know, sometimes being a Christian comes at a high personal cost. You know, I've lost a lot of people that I thought were friends. And even family members. Sometimes relationships with people in the church that you thought were faithful brethren, and they turn on you. And they stop their ears and refuse to hear the truth. This happens. And it comes at a again, at a high personal cost. It hurts. And it's not easy to suffer for doing what is right and trying to do what is right. But make no mistake that God sees our suffering and He's honored when we are doing this for righteousness' sake and not for our own glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. And on their part, the people who, who uh, mistreat you, the people that speak against you, the people that hate you, the people that get mad at you, people that separate themselves from you, on their part, he says, God is evil spoken of, sure, but on your part, He's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. The apostle is saying, if, if, if we're doing wrong things and we're suffering because of that, there's no glory in that. We brought that on ourselves, and you deserve to, to suffer for that, because you've done these things for your own self. But he says, if you're suffering as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If you're going out doing what's right, teaching what's right, helping people change their lives, don't be ashamed of that. But let them glorify God on this behalf. It is good to suffer for righteousness' sake, just as Micaiah did. You know, we, he probably died in that prison. But he's probably reaping a great reward for his faith. And, and that's the kind of faith that we should have that's encouraging to us. Follow God even if it means you suffer. You know, lesson, the lesson's focus is that we are bombarded with constant enticements and opportunities to join Satan's hopeless battle against God. But we have a clear choice before us on a daily basis, whether we're going to go along with the world or whether we're going to go along with God, even if it means we lose something. Romans chapter 8, verse 8, 18. I hope this is encouraging to you as we look at this final verse. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, no matter what you go through, no matter what pain you endure, no matter what heartache you face, no matter what temptations you face for, for speaking the truth, and being a person that stands up against the crowd of 400. Any of those sufferings that you would endure are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's a far greater glory that is coming. And, and everything that we've endured, all the hateful and negative things, all the, all the pressure, all the tears, all the heartaches, it seems insurmountable now. 
And it seems like that's never going to, to go away or make us, that we're never going to get over that. But the apostle says we will because the glory that will be revealed in us is far greater. It's like a speck of dust compared to the glory that God is going to reveal in us. And that's an encouraging thing to think about and a great blessing for us to, to know as we are, we are wanting to be people that are following God and standing and pledging our allegiance instead to God instead of evil. And so that question, as, as we think about the rebuke that Yehoshaphat received, will you help the ungodly and love false teachers? Or will you be a person that, like Micaiah, stands up for the truth and speaks only that which God has told us to speak? If you're here this morning and you need prayers from the church, you need encouragement, maybe you feel like you've been persuaded by the 400 false prophets. And, and that scares you. It should. We should be afraid of that. We're here as family. We are family in Christ, and that is a great blessing. We love one another as family, and we're here to lift each other up as family. We're not here to cast each other down. We're not here to destroy one another. We're here to edify one another and build each other up in the truth of, of the holy faith and contend for the faith that was delivered to us that will help us. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not even on the right path yet, and I haven't been baptized into Christ, and I need to, to pledge my allegiance to God, the best way you can do that is by beginning your life being baptized into Jesus, to have your sins washed away, and be a follower of that which is righteous. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.